This week on The Function Room, drawing by numbers, the mathematics of art, or the art of mathematics, whichever you want. My guest is teacher, artist, mathematician, TikTok star, Aileen MacDonald, spelled A-Y-L-I-E-A-N, the only one in the world. We talk about the usual things people talk about, you know, aperiodic tiles, Japanese, Hitomizashi stitching, L-chair triominals, toilet paper, cosy gaming, and the meditative power of drawing lots of straight lines in a bullet journal. She's fascinating. Give it a play. So my name is Aileen McDonald, A-Y-L-I-E-A-N, if anyone wants to spell it. And now what I do is I, I make maths videos on TikTok um, for a long time, for a decade. I was a maths teacher. Um, so I taught maths in secondary schools. I did a stint as head of department for a while. Um, found out that managing people was not what I wanted to do. Um, I taught in a secondary school all the way through the pandemic and then made it through that and decided, you know, I gave I gave all of my 20s to teaching and as much as I, I love teaching and it's what I think I'm designed to do, I would love to go back, but I wanted to take some time to do some weird things. And so now I make maths art and maths videos um, and put them on TikTok and YouTube and stuff. She so started off as a maths teacher, uh, the pandemic, I think, makes everybody think about how you'd want to spend your time. And now you make maths videos on TikTok. Uh, is it mathematical? Is it art through mathematics or mathematics through art? Hmm. So it's one of these things that kind of crept up on me. Um, so I have always been into maths. I've always been into art and they didn't overlap for a long time. It was kind of uh, t two trains heading towards each other on a track, I guess. Um, and so, yeah, I, I started doing maths art probably about seven years ago. Um, although I looked back in one of my old diaries as a prolific diary writer as a child and noticed that there was these kind of star fractal repeating things. So I guess that's been in my head for a while. And um, it's one of those things, right? So if you're going to ask like, what comes first, the maths or the art, but then you have to get into what even is maths? What is art? Like art, notoriously difficult to define. It's art because I say it's art. I think you could apply that to maths. It's maths yeah. because I say it's maths. Um, so when you look at a piece of maths art, I think as much as beauty is in the eye of the beholder, the maths is in the eye of the beholder as well. Um, I can do everything I want to kind of Put, to use maths when creating art, to put all of these mathematical ideas into the art and use it as a form of expression. But the, the way that someone would appreciate that could either be mathematical or not. Um, so it's, it's all expression, uh, both maths and art. I don't know if you, can, if you can say which one came first. For me, they were simultaneous and then they became intertwined. Oh, lovely. And intertwine could be a pattern uh, as well <laughs> in in all of this it is a key word to this pattern like is, is that the word that sometimes can unite maths and art because we spend so much time looking for patterns in nature our brains like seem to like that kind of thing to make sense of what we see and also pattern can be a, a aesthetically pleasing form of art is pattern one of your things patterns definitely come up a lot it's i don't know it's 
something that I shy away from. I know that a lot of mathematicians are very, very into patterns, but I think that that that's just how our brains are wired. I think that's a very human sort of thing to look for patterns and to see patterns. And I'm sure you come across the whole, is it, what's it called? Pareidolia, where people see, you know, faces yes. and patterns and stuff that, that isn't there. Um, so, so like the uh, the coat hook that looks like drunken octopus wants yes. a fight, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh my gosh! If people are listening to this and haven't seen that before, you I don't know if you do show notes, but you need to put the drunken octopus in the show notes. This is a Hitamazashi stitch pattern. So Dr. Catherine Seaton has done extensive work, kind of bringing these um, into a mathematical light. There were something that was but they still are very popular in japan and they would use really rigid stitching patterns as a kind of visible way for mending clothes which is super cool and um what mathematicians did and under the work of catherine seaton was kind of think could we use this as an exploration for probability so take something which has this um amazing pattern and then use probability to decide you know are the stitches going to be on? Are they going to be off? And it creates these really, really nice structures, but they don't necessarily have pattern, but I still think they're incredibly appealing. So when they put the mats on that, sorry for the gauche terminology, did they find things that coincidentally happened that were pleasing in its own way? Yeah, it was kind of uh, a little bit of a discovery to do with rings and fields because um, the way that the the Hitamazashi stitch pattern comes together, it's always too colourable. Um, so there's kind of always an inside and an outside, which you wouldn't necessarily think. It's not It's not immediately obvious. When you're doing it, when you're drawing them, uh, and then when you start to colour them in, it's something that you can discover quite quickly. But act as much of maths is actually proving it way more difficult. So yeah, there's a, a few cool maths things in there. What I love about that is something that I find myself returning to as a theme, the power of a piece of paper and a pen and a just an, and an action leading you into without any hadron colliders, you know, <laughs> into mad worlds of of maths and maybe physics at some point. Uh, do you find that as you're drawing that you are wielding a wand. Yeah, so that's, I mean, well, that's the whole thing about maths is it's the synthetic a priori, if you want to be super nerdy about it. Um, I think one of the coolest... I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've come to the right place. I think one of the coolest yeah. things about maths is all it takes is for you to know that you don't know something, and then you should be able to um, kind of build, if you know that you don't know something, you should be able to build your way across to it um, using logic. That's kind of what we try and do with maths. Um, I need to see things written down to be able to think them through. My brain cannot hold that many things, but absolutely, when it comes to, to drawing, mm, particularly, I don't know if you're going to be able to show something called um, toothpick patterns um, or for example, the L chair triomino. Uh, okay. Wonderful audio going on here. Let me describe some pictures <laughs> That's to all you. Right. So, it's, it's totally fine if listeners can audibly listen to me being baffled as well, because that's that's absolutely fine by me. 
Uh, sorry, so go ahead and those things you mentioned again. So well, I'll go from the L chair triomino. Um, so you can imagine it just looks like an L made out of three blocks. Yeah. Um, and you can split that into more L's exactly the same. So it's something that's called a reptile. Oh, ho, ho, mathematician, so punny. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's it's a tile that can be tiled with copies of itself. And so then that means that each one of those can then be tiled with more copies of itself and it kind of uh, either goes in the way or out the way. So that, that's something that I came across when I was drawing. I was like, cool, gonna draw this reptile. So you draw the L, you draw the L shape, and then do you draw more L shapes the same size as it to build a larger L? Or do you go in the way um, and fill it with L shapes to make a smaller L. And these are just kind of things, I don't know, when you start actually drawing stuff, it makes you slow down and really think about how do I construct this? Um, how, how could someone come across this? Um, there's an amazing maths puzzle maker, I don't know if you've ever come across her, Katrina Ag, formerly Katrina Shearer on Twitter. And her process involves just doodling. So she comes up with these beautiful geometric puzzles which usually end up in some sort of real pure mathematical truth where there's a, a constant or an invariance you know she'll find something where it doesn't matter if um, if you slide it all the way to the left or all the way to the right the area is going to be the same things like that and um, she finds these purities and the way that she does it is she just doodles loads until she stumbles across something cool and then she makes a puzzle about it um, I am not that cool. Uh, what I tend to do is I'll see some sort of stimulus, a fractal, um, a reptile, an idea, and I'll think, okay, cool, I see that that's been made by a computer. No human in their right mind would draw 40,000 straight lines in a row. But I, as I said, I quit my job, so I've got nothing but time yeah. on my hands. Um, and I will absolutely draw 40,000 tiny straight lines in a row. And in doing so, it, it just really brings focus to the underlying structures, to what's going on. Um, and it gives you a different perspective when you actually try and draw things. Uh, it's, it's, it echoes in a way what happens when you're in primary school because ironically, the main copy book that you have as a school child that lends itself most easily to taking the pen for a walk at right angles and possibly 45 degree angles is your sum copy, mm. your copy for doing sums in and, you know, in primary school and and then when you're, you know, I your mind is going for a wander. That's where you're drawing these little mm -hmm. patterns. And then one day you get all grown up and you no longer use a sum copy and you're using a A4 fool's cap for your incredibly important mathematics with algebra and X's. But I just loved watching your videos where I don't, it might not be a sum copy, it might be a copy, a grid of dots. And you just, you do what I used to do in age nine or whatever, you know, draw, join two dots and then maybe join offset, join two other dots and then draw, you know, mm -hmm. uh, make shapes out of that. And and it's it's lovely to think that it's so profound what you could get out of that. Yeah, um, when I first started doing these kind of drawings, I, um, I used to draw the grids myself. <laughs> um, 
and luckily then the the popularity of bullet journaling came in and so now you yeah that's that's what i <laughs> yeah. use um bullet journaling I use, of course yeah, yeah i just use bullet journals um because they have the the dotted squares um but yeah i i find it when I first see a pattern nowadays, one of my favourite things to think is, um, okay, what kind of grid do I need to to draw that? Um, could I draw it on a square grid? Could I draw it on an isometric grid? Those are pretty much the two that you have. Every so often I'll make a custom grid for um, certain things that don't fit on a square or an ISO grid, but the amount of things which do fit on a square or an ISO grid unbelievable um, and so I'm so glad to hear that you know you were kind of going um, what's a nicer way of saying off the rails because that's not what I mean <laughs> um, <laughs> off, the off the beaten track <laughs> in primary school and and drawing um, because it is it's such a, a great way to to make those kind of discoveries and I always want to be really cautious. I never want to diss teachers because, like I say, I was a teacher for a long time and they're, yeah. they work within a system. But through my time in teaching, it made me really sad to see that nowadays, much, much more than when I first started teaching a decade ago, um, kids will ask me things like... <sighs> is it okay to put two numbers in one square and you know like you know as if they're trying to make something that's in my head perfect on the page and there's there's yeah. a lot of perfect perfectionism that they're trying to overcome um and i do think that we need to encourage a little bit more free play on the page and especially in maths as well there's so much yeah anxiety wrapped up in maths and i think that you know combining it with art combining it with drawing and just doodling and playing around could help overcome that maths anxiety i'm 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 kind of smiling as well thinking about the fact that the bullet journal presumably is for organizing yourself and getting a control <laughs> <laughs> of of the the infinite or the cloud of things one has to do and yet it can also be used for taking your mind into <laughs> infinite recursion. Yep, I just add add to the infinite amount of things that are going on in my brain. <laughs> You're on TikTok, you've got millions of views and thousands of people following you and very good naturedly from what I can see, certainly the, the main comments I can see. You were talking about tiling. It's probably news, it certainly was news to me when I first heard, it might be news to other people, that tiling is mathematical, you know, and not just a problem with grout and forgetting to start in the middle of the floor and work towards the edges. Somebody discovered a new type of tile. Explain to an idiot like me <laughs> why, what's lovely about tiles and what is an aperiodic one and why you got excited by that. Oh, tiles are super cool. Um, so where, where to even begin with tiling? Um, in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so like you were saying, oh, you were surprised to find that tiling was mathematical. Um, again, it's one of those things you can look at it in a mathematical way through a mathematical lens. But um, historically, one of the, the best sources of mathematical art is Islamic tiling. And uh, I'm 
clearly no expert on that, so I don't know how much I can speak to it, but I think it's because um, in Islam, you're not supposed to represent, uh, like, you know, in other religions, you have iconography of, you know, deities. Uh, in Islam, you're not supposed to represent your deity, and so they do it through symmetry and patterns, uh, which I think is very, very cool. So I'm sure everyone has seen Islamic tilings, and that dates way, way, way back. Um, and so everyone was just kind of, it's such a human thing, you know, looking for patterns, um, putting tiles together. Everyone's looking for more intricate tiles, pushing the boundaries, interesting things that they could do. And one of the long-standing problems was can we create an aperiodic tile? So periodic tiling is the one that you normally see in bathrooms, on pavements, where it repeats over and over again. You can take a section of the tile, like say if you took a photo of one section, you can walk down the pavement a wee bit and you can find a place where that photo would entirely match up again. Um, it's called translational symmetry. So you can, you can move the tiling over and it fits perfectly in itself. Um, a standard square grid would do this. Um, loads of, yeah, all all quadrilaterals tile. That's something that people seem to gloss over. I think that's very cool. But all triangles tile, all quadrilaterals tile. Pentagons, uh, no, they're, they, they don't tile, not regularly. Um, there are 11 classes of irregular pentagons which will tile. Um, and then, we found something, and I say we, which is humans as, as a whole, um, found aperiodic tiling um, very, very late on in the game. I think in the, I'm going to say 60s, is when aperiodic tiling came to fruition. And that is a set of tiles where you can place them and you can cover the entire plane. So you can you can tile this bathroom infinitely. Uh, there are no yeah. walls, you, nothing to worry about wall-wise. Um, but there will never ever be a point where you can take a photo, move it over and, well, actually, you will never be able to pick up the entire tiling, move it over and have it look exactly the same as it did before. You, and and the most famous of these is the Penrose tiling, um, which is when mathematicians got it down to just two tiles. Um, so if you have a look at the Penrose tiling, it's yeah. so wonderfully intricate. And I and um, there's this thing called, have you ever stumbled across nominative determinism? Where your name matches your job yeah. by coincidence. Yeah. So cool. I, I used to know a geographer whose last name was Hill. Um, and, you know, it, it's very cool. So Penrose tilings look like they have these little rose motifs in them and they have yeah. pentagonal symmetry. But that's literally just the guy's name who discovered them, so Roger Penrose. Um, so I think there's a kind of very cool nominative determinism going on there. And I found out that in French, that's called a nomen omen, like a <laughs> name omen, <laughs> which I just think is very cool. So anyway, this guy, Roger Penrose, uh, he discovered the Penrose tiling, which is made of two kinds of rhombi, a fat rhombus and a thin rhombus. Um, most people would describe it as a diamond. Um, we've got this Penrose tiling and uh, it, it doesn't repeat. It can go on forever without repeating. Um, and that's, that's such a cool property to have. And I don't know, like, how far down this path do you want to go? Because it almost becomes like a conspiracy theory, just how deep this thing goes. So 
mathematicians in the 60s, uh, Roger Penrose specifically, discovers this Penrose tiling, this aperiodic tiling, it doesn't repeat, and nobody cares for the most part. It's very, very cool. It looks beautiful. Um, a toilet roll company wanted to put it as a pattern on, on their toilet roll. Um, I hear so that um, like the kind of the pattern on the sheet below didn't match up with the sheet above and so they wouldn't get stuck together as a way to avoid that, which is a very crafty, cool piece of engineering. Oh, when, when well, let's not get into it too much, <laughs> but when folded, they wouldn't like somehow map on top of yes. each other, is it? Yes, uh -huh. when, it's, when it's rolled up on the roll. Um, ah, yeah. okay. Sorry, not folded. <laughs> I was thinking of the after action, the pre-use the pre yeah. version. Okay, so that the force you apply to roll it mm -hmm. is enough to remove it from the roll and you don't end up constantly snapping it off, which is why sometimes very, like, toilet rolls that are have, have no pattern whatsoever mm -hmm and are quite big, mm -hmm. you might start pulling one sheet at a time because they're, they're quite, their attraction to each other is stronger than your force that you're yeah, applying. Yeah, I think it maintains fluffiness as well because they wouldn't become like, <laughs> you know, um, too indented on top of each other. They don't line up. Yeah. Um, so I'm not 100% sure if that's why they did, but that's, that's a theory I've heard as to why this toilet roll company wanted to use an aperiodic tiling. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so that was kind of the first practical use that people found for the, the aperiodic tiling. In 2011, the Nobel Prize for Chemistry, because there's no Nobel Prize for Maths, uh, but the Nobel Prize for Chemistry was awarded because um, one of the institutes discovered that the structure, now, and this is quite reductive, so I'll just say it as a, you know, a catchy sentence, which is that the structure of aluminium alloy atoms is a Penrose tiling. Dun dun dun! What? what? Yeah. I, I know. Yeah. That's it's yeah. unbelievable. If I want. So you're saying this? This goes all the way to the very top. Well, all the way to the very bottom and down to the atomic yeah. structure. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, if you want to add, like, if there are any chemists listening out there, I'm sure they'll want all the caveats that um, most quasi crystals, which is what was what we're looking at. So most quasi crystals are periodic, but there are certain aluminium manganese alloys which have this aperiodic um, tiling shape, and also I think it's the projection which is not the actual structure, um, like the atoms don't actually join together in a Penrose tiling. But if they were massive and you could shine a torch down okay. through them, the shadow, the shadow would be this Penrose tiling, which, but even the fact that it's demonstrably in atomic structures is very, very cool, really unbelievable. Yeah. Um, and the reason that this has come to light now and that we're talking about it and that um, you know, millions and millions of people on TikTok are interested in it is because we can do better now. We've got um, the same idea, an aperiodic tiling, but with only one tile. So we don't need two tiles. We've got it down to one tile. And that was a holy grail of tiling. Yeah, very, very cool. Um, I think well, me included, a lot of people had given up the search, just kind of thought, oh, two is the best that it's ever going to get. Um, so much so that I now have a Penrose tiling tattoo. I'll have to get another tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> but you're this. not going to get that repeated all over the place. 
Um, well, it doesn't repeat, but um, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna have to get um, the, this new aperiodic tiling. So this new tile is called the hat, and man, I sure kicked myself when I saw it. It's so simple. It's um, it's a thirteen sided shape. So what would that be? A tridecagon. Um, yeah, I'm happy with that tridecagon. So thirteen sided shape, but it's essentially formed by sticking kites together. Um, it's it's a really gnarly looking shape. It looks like a t-shirt to most people, um, but it is called the hat. You could you could draw the tiling um, for this this new aperiodic hat tiling. You could draw it on an isogrid because it is made of kites glued together, and that's wild. Um, you know, for a Penrose tiling, you have to do all of these. This is this is why I would encourage people to try actually drawing them. Actually drawing a Penrose tiling is a nightmare. The best way that I've found to do it is to make stamps. So um, I make like a, a fat rhombus tiling and a thin rhombus tiling stamp. And then you've got these kind of matching patterns. It's very complicated. It's really tough um, for me anyway. The new uh, aperiodic monotile, you could draw that on an isogrid. Um, it's so simple. And I always thought to myself, oh, you know, as as we know, I was born in the 90s. I'm like, oh man, I really missed out on the tiling boom of the 60s. I'm so <laughs> sure that if I had been born, um, you know, long enough ago to be sentient during the 60s, I would have been able to figure out that cool tiling thing. You know, I would have I would have dedicated so much time to it. I would have been on it. I would have cracked that puzzle. And now I know that that is not true because the aperiodic monotile was just there waiting to be discovered in my lifetime. And I didn't find it, the, even with the amount of tiling that I look at. <laughs> if I had a penny for the amount of people who said to me, damn, I missed out on the tiling boom of the 60s, <laughs> I'd have precisely one penny. <laughs> Talking about the fact that this has been discovered. So this tile, which looks like a, a hat or a T-shirt, looks so innocuous, can be reproduced on on an ISO grid. I presume that's where dots are slight are at an that are in diamond formation. Yeah, like right? triangles. Mm -hmm. We don't even know where this might turn up. Like you might find chemists in the year twenty fifty might find that the 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 structure of carbon hundred and thirty two, the one that's <laughs> like lighter than a feather but stronger than a planet, has uh, a hat yeah. lattice. Like but this is why you're excited. You're at mm -hmm. you're at the cusp of this weird non-repeating patterned tile, mm -hmm. and given how things keep turning up in conspiracy theory rich ways, from maths to nature and vice versa, mm -hmm. it's the possibilities are either zero or endless. Yeah, so we just do not know what what this tile is going to be used for in the future. Um, I've heard a lot of people talking about um, stuff to do with coding. Apparently, um, having something that doesn't repeat could be very useful for knowing yeah. uh, where you are spatially, I guess. I guess Hilbert curves are kind of used for that. Um, like IP routers ping to each other in a Hilbert curve, I think. I'm not a okay, computer person. Right. Um but I took that absolutely in faith, so I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> uh, we probably won't get. Uh, I know that on your, I'll be telling people anyway about your TikTok to get on and look at you drawing things like Hilbert curves and dragon curves. And what's lovely in that is that Hilbert's like 
a god of maths mm. and th- there's obviously a curve named after him and you've got a piece of paper and a pen and you're drawing his curve. Mm. Going on to TikTok, talking to people in a way that as a teacher, you talked to uh, smaller groups of people and now you are, I suppose, demonstrating your love of maths and art. And it's in a different way because you're saying here, I love doing this. Come and join me, but I'm not like teaching you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a different relationship you have with people. How do you find that? Yeah. In talking about both. So it's really interesting. There's there's loads of differences. This is something that I could probably talk about for an entire hour. Um, <laughs> so when you are making videos for TikTok, YouTube, social media, whatever, yes, the, you have the potential to be speaking to millions of people, but it doesn't feel like that. It feels like you on your own. Uh, in a room <laughs> with with a phone or a microphone or whatever. Um, so there is that kind of, that more lonely reality, I guess, um, that people don't necessarily think of when they're watching a video that has millions of views. When you are in a classroom, uh, yes, it's a smaller group than the, <laughs> than the amount of people that you can reach on social media, but it feels like a lot more because 30 people in a room is a lot of people um, in a room. And um, so you can, I don't know, I really, really enjoy teaching. You can kind of build up a buzz, um, you know, you can get excited, you can bounce ideas off each other. It's more dialectic. There's a back and forth. Whereas um, so far, I've been very, very happy with the, the comments section that I managed to maintain on social media. But you know how comment sections can go. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not necessarily like creating a buzz and back and forth. Then there's this other there's this other layer of the intent. So when you are teaching to to a class, yeah, you want to make it fun and interesting and cool and you want to hook people in with the maths, which is awesome. But ultimately, um, they are relying on you to get them grades and um, and you are going to be held accountable for their grades, which is something that is I think there could be a there should be more debate on um you know who who does that serve um what is the purpose of examination what's the purpose of education right now um and you know does the kind of assessment that we use match the kind of education that we that we need uh, in the current society um so so yeah there's this kind of tension when you are <laughs> the amount of times that I would stand up in my maths classroom and a kid would ask a really cool question and I'd be like oh like I really want to like run with that tangent and go on but we have a curriculum to cover it's very very painful um yeah and then you get the other side of things, which is the people for whom um, a traditional education does not work. Um, is just that there are so many people. My mum is an excellent example who go through education and come out of it thinking they hate maths, uh, thinking that maths is just um, cruel. It's a horrible thing that you've been forced through, uh, not to be too divisive, but I don't think that making anything compulsory is a good way to get people, um, hyped up about it or involved or even, you know, do well in it. So there is a difference when you're making something on social media that people have chosen to watch this. They're in a comfortable, um, they're in a comfortable environment, you'd hope, um, Whichever way they chose to open the app, they've said, I am ready for information to come in my 
into my eyeballs and ears, you know, get in my brain. And um, so you're there trying to show them something interesting. And I think that it's a very useful tool. Social media is a very useful tool for changing people's attitudes towards maths because they've maybe never been allowed to explore it in um, a comfortable situation before. It's always been in this kind of stressful classroom situation where you have the, the rain cloud of grades looming over you. So there are massive differences in um, how people feel when they're in class learning maths or when they're on social media and maths finds them or they find maths. There are massive differences in the outcomes you can achieve. You know, for the most part in my social media, I am trying to change people's attitudes and maybe point them in a direction where they can say, oh, like, that's really cool. I'm going to learn more. I, I'll just give like a few, uh, like a little quick one. Mathagon, if you've ever come across that website, that is a wonderful place where if you have heard about fractals and you're like, wow, that's really cool. I would like to know more about that. Go on Mathagon. There'll be like a little course that you can work through where you actually get to answer questions like a workbook, things like that. So that's my aim is to just change attitudes and give people enough of um, a handle so that they can Google something um, worthwhile and continue their own learning. One of the things you were talking about, um, both from your your mother's experience that maths might be cruel or the people experiencing stress and watching your videos, it's the opposite of stress. There's almost a meditative power mm -hmm. in watching. Obviously, you speed up the, the drawing of it, <laughs> so you, you're kind of there may be some bits where your, your arm is tired drawing all those lines and dots, but it is soothing mm -hmm. watching the hand go across the page and make shapes, which are very ma mathematical, mm -hmm. have huge power in them. Uh, but I wouldn't have thought I was going to be soothed <laughs> <laughs> watching maths happen in front of me. Are you meditating? Um, OK, so um, just as an audio description, in case people haven't seen this, I am quite well known for drawing very straight lines um, and a lot of them. So I will do these time lapses, which in reality take between maybe like three, four hours or up to two weeks to, to draw. And then I'll collapse them down into about 10 to 20 seconds. Um, and yes, uh, this is absolutely a meditative process for me. I actually, I think that in terms of meditation, there is some science to back it up. Um, but I mean, I can go on personal feelings and nobody can tell me I'm wrong there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so from a practical standpoint, um, when you're drawing really straight lines, you do have to control your breath. Otherwise, they're just not going to be that straight. Okay. So uh, I genuinely do have to take a minute beforehand when I'm doing these drawings to just take a breath, calm down, um, meditate, if that's the word for it, um, so that I can draw lines which are very straight. And um, but I was doing it for years um, as a form of as a form of meditation, just as a form of stress relief because it is so repetitive. Um, you know, you sit down for hours, I listen to podcasts. Um, I'll, it's the only time I'll listen to an album as it should be, you know, in order um, from start to finish. And um, the only way I can get into that headspace is to have something to do with my hands, uh, kind of with my brain um, that, is, that is repetitive. So I do find it meditative. And then several years after I started doing these drawings, I stumbled across 
uh, something called obsessive drawing. And there's, there's whole galleries and exhibitions for people that do different obsessive drawings. Um, and one of them is uh, John Green, you know, from <laughs> Vlogbrothers or who wrote The Fault in Our Stars. He makes these... Oh, right. Yeah, uh-huh. Um, yeah, him. Yes, uh-huh. So you see him on, you know, YouTube, TikTok, and sometimes being an actually amazing author. But uh, he makes these drawings which consist of like millions of tiny, tiny circles. And uh, he, he talks quite openly about having OCD and how having that repetitive motion calms him. And uh, I don't mind saying, because I've, I've said publicly many times before, but uh, I have something called health anxiety, like a, just a specific mm. anxiety disorder. Um, and I do find that this obsessive drawing it really takes my mind off of it um, and lets me focus on things like podcasts or music where normally I would be I'm, I'm really fidgety, like I struggle to sit still. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I might try that because yeah. uh, I find my mind racing, not productively, obviously racing with worrying what people are thinking about me or some <laughs> no doubt completely unproductive thoughts. I'm mm -hmm. certainly not coming up with uh, new forms of curves. That's really interesting and have, do people contact you with similar experience based on knowing your process? Um, so I get a lot of people who, have, not not for the drawing, um, there's a very small percentage, very, very small percentage of people who then go on to actually try doing the drawing. And um, I love when people send me their drawings or something, because everything I do, um, usually I will start with a, a rule and then you're just following the rules. So although it is art, um, you could draw the exact same drawing and uh, I kind of see the art as being the time lapse and then the picture that comes from it is more like a, a byproduct artifact. But mm. um, once you've decided your rules, that's kind of where the art is. Very similar to coding. You know, you decide your rules, you stick to them and then you see what comes from it. So other people end up drawing the exact same pictures. And I love when people send me photos of that. Um, but I do get a lot of people commenting saying that um, just watching the drawings has that kind of the oddly satisfying quality or, yeah. you know, they've maybe never considered maths as a, a way to, because I will explicitly talk about the maths whilst doing the drawings. So they've maybe, they get hooked in by watching the very meditative back and forth, oddly satisfying drawing. And then they realize, oh, wait, I'm listening to a maths video and uh, then that kind of changes their their attitude and they say uh, I had a really beautiful comment a few weeks back where there was uh, a young person who said that they you know struggled with maths built up extreme maths anxiety they had uh, other neurodivergencies that meant that maths was extra difficult for them and they would go to lengths of kind of it's unfortunate but you do see this in class sometimes it's a really common thing but like kind of hitting themselves with the frustration and they mm. never thought that they could heal from that and see maths in a different light but then seeing maths combined with art and this kind of meditative process changed their mind and I I'm incredibly humbled to be part of that process for someone. That's lovely. What do you think you'll do next if you were to collapse down the next 10 years into a <laughs> 20 second time lapse? What do you think you'll be doing in this? Is it is it something that progresses or is it necessarily itself without structure or 
do does your hand get steadier do you have to do something more complex to satisfy <laughs> the need to sh- to show progress to some other external metric hmm that's a good question your hand your hand does get steadier uh, i <laughs> uh, i'm not sure i could draw straighter lines um I could maybe increase the length of straight line. I can I can draw a very, very straight line for about 10 centimetres and then after that it gets less mm. straight. Um, you know, if you want to talk about, about physicality. I have been really interested in things like steganography, which is hiding secret messages in plain sight. Mm. So I've I've gotten quite into like hiding secret messages in maths art lately. So that's something to to look out for. Um And that's ste- steganography. Yeah, like a stegosaurus, but steganography. <laughs> but yeah, so I've been hiding secret messages in, in the maths art. Um, that's something that kind of amuses me. I do like to just kind of go where the wind takes me in terms of mm. um, of art. But um, in terms of maths and maths communication over the next 10 years, I would I would like to do some large scale things. I would like things to be more interactive. So I would love um, ways for people to influence um drawings and make them more particular to themselves. I really want to focus on, are you, do you know the cozy gaming community? <laughs> I know uh, this, I don't. this might me. come out Tell of nowhere, but like you'll be, you'll be au fait with like game streaming. Yeah. Yeah. So people stream games um, and usually it's like first person shooters or Call of Duty. And uh, I think like we all know it's quite male dominated and it generally <laughs> is pretty fraught to me. Like when I watch um, game streams, it's like, go, go, go. Like we've got to do this mm. now. Um, but there is a subset of the gaming community, which for a long time was ripped for not being real gamers, but it's, it's the subset of the gaming community that I belong to, which is cozy gaming, um, which is where, you know, it's maybe collaborative, it's not competitive, um, things are quite cute, and it's just like a warm, fuzzy way of relaxing. So things like Stardew Valley, uh, where you're just farming, or Animal Crossing, where you're, you know, you know, building up a little island with your friends. I play a game called Cooler World, which was a, an old PS1 game. It's supposedly was used to train astronauts about zero g it's very mathsy but you play a beach ball that rolls around on different shapes um so there's there's oh. no shooting there's no killing things like that it's just you're a beach ball solving puzzles it's very fun um very good but i would like to take the vibe of cozy gaming and bring it to maths so i want people to not immediately have this competitive attitude towards maths. Uh, I, I don't want people to immediately think about the use of maths. You know, oh gosh, I need to know this because A, I need to pass an exam. B, I want to become an engineer. C, I need to save the world somehow. Like, no, no, no. Calm down. Take it slower. Let's yeah. just enjoy the maths for maths sake. And um, I would, that's kind of my overarching aim for the next 10 years is a long time, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I know. So my overarching aim for the next 10 years would be to create an environment or in a space within the maths community that's much more cozy um, and wel- welcoming and wholesome. And for people seeking a way in to what you do from whatever angle they're coming at, should we go out at start off maybe with a few, get a few little notebooks, a few bullet journals with dots in them and start doodling? Um, 
yeah, I mean, I'm obviously not going to tell anyone to, what to do with their life, but if it's something that you want to get into, it's been really beneficial for me. I've loved, I love it. Um, there are little bullet journals that you can get relatively cheap. You can print um, the, the dotted paper. If you want to be really purist about it, you could draw the grids. Um, wouldn't recommend. It's not really worth it because you can just print the dotted paper. But yeah, play around with it. There are loads of videos on things to do. Um, so I've got a few how-to videos, but I mean, I would be remiss not to mention Viheart. If you want to get on a kind of recreational maths journey, if you want to see maths in a more artistic way, the real OG is uh, is Viheart. Um, so check out her videos. They are fantastic. And how's that spelled? Sorry. V-I and then uh, second name H-A-R-T, Viheart. Okay, great. And is there a way that uh, people can look up things like fractals and tiling without, you know, when you go on Wikipedia and mm -hmm. it'll straight away, the first 20 words will themselves be hyperlinked almost recursively mm -hmm. down to, to a series of things that are also hard. Where would you find out about that? Have you any recommendations uh, for yeah, top of the list, where to Mathagon. get into that? So Mathagon, Mathagon. is, uh, that's going to be number one. And then after that, there are uh, whole communities around, there's two free graphic softwares, which um, people find quite useful if you don't want to pen and paper draw things, um, if you're not restricted to the, the physical world, which is uh, GeoGebra or GeoGebra, not 100% sure, everyone pronounces it different, um, and uh, Desmos. So both of those have, uh, they're graph graphic calculators at heart, but they do have art communities built around them. So if you were looking at Desmos, uh, Matlab Jordan is a TikToker who makes amazing things on Desmos. His art is unreal. Like he can create functions which look like one Pokemon. And then as you run T through um, like a different numbers, like run the series, it will evolve into another Pokemon. He's next level. Um, mm. And then in terms of GeoGebra, Ben Sparks, who you might know from NumberFile, which obviously is the, the go-to, if you want to be mathsy, NumberFile videos, but Ben Sparks from NumberFile, he does a, like kind of build with me how-to videos on uh, GeoGebra. So they're, they're quite fun to follow along. Um, and then other than that, yeah, just get some pen and paper, try. Um, if you have a compass, if you have access to a compass, something really rewarding to do would be to try and... So compass and straight edges Euclidean tools, try and make a square, uh, try and make a hexagon. And those are probably two great places to start. Draw a square and draw a hexagon using nothing but a straight edge and a compass. Um, and the thing about Euclidean tools is you can make them, you make your straight edge by folding because mm -hmm. you will all, no matter what the thing is you're folding, no matter how crooked that is, when you fold, it'll be straight, yep. presumably, if it's any kind of paper or whatever he had, papyrus. And then a compass is string mm -hmm. and a pin yep. and rigidity pulling <laughs> tight. You can do anything you want. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so that's your Euclidean tools. They are awesome. 
And you, where, where can people find you and all your stuff? Well, the number one way to find me would be being able to spell my name, <laughs> which yes, is a challenge. <laughs> so it's uh, A-Y-L-I-E-A-N. Um, so Alien, A-Y-L-I-E-A-N. If you can spell that, just type it into Google because it's just all going to be me. Um, but on <laughs> on TikTok, uh, Alien. On Twitter, Alien. YouTube, Alien. So, yep. Very easy to find as long as you can spell my name. That's amazing. It's almost like you and Elon Musk are the only two people who could get away with that <laughs> level of singularity. <laughs> different, different areas. Different, uh, uh, Elon and I are different in many ways. Alien <laughs> <laughs> MacDonald, thank you so much for responding to my message out of the blue, asking to chat and for <laughs> giving me the time. Best of luck with all that you do, wherever you take your pen for a walk over the next while. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for having me on my very first podcast. That was Alien MacDonald there. Use the spelling of her name to find her everywhere on her website, TikTok, Twitter, wherever. She will introduce you to a whole new way of thinking about maths. That's it for The Function Room this week. If you like it, give it a review, tell your friends and acquaintances and people you just met. Uh, some of the things that Alien mentioned, mathigon.org, M-A-T-H-I-G-O-N.org, geogebra.org, G-E-O-G-E-B-R-A.org, desmos.com, D-E-S-M-O-S.com. You can find Math Lab Jordan, M-A-T-H-L-A-B-J-O-R-D-A-N, on TikTok. Uh, Numberfile is at numberfile.com. That's where you'll find Ben Sparks. And you'll find me, Colm O'Regan, at Colm O'Regan on Twitter, colmoregan.com, and the Function Room Podcast itself, at Function Room Pod. Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Oh, sorry, nearly forgot. Uh, we were talking about octopuses very early on. It was Drunk Octopus Wants a Fight. It's a coat hook that looks like a slightly bug-eyed octopus who is anxious for a fight. Look it up. It's not mathsy, it's just related to coat hooks and octopi. Bye-bye, again. <laughs>